1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Short of going out of business, maybe this is the way to get the attention of Political leaders in big cities and in Illinois and not so big cities, too. See what happened uh, in Seattle? There's a no, didn't. What walkout of uh, employees at Macy's, employees who are represented by the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 3000. They do good work. The walkout, not over wages, not over scheduling, over safety. Macy's is not doing enough to address shoplifting, violent shoppers, and other safety threats to workers and customers. There was an incident um, involving uh, a longtime employee uh, who said that at her store, this is 20 miles north of downtown Seattle, actually, which is interesting, at her store... Uh, she frequently observes shoplifting, even occasional violence. The lack of security affects our customers, too. But when she called 911 about a repeat shoplifter even that even law enforcement was familiar with, Macy's suspended her without pay for nearly three weeks. Uh, and now Macy's workers are saying they're afraid to call police because they worry they'll get in trouble or even lose their job. So maybe this is an opportunity as well, since we've heard and talked about these stories, for... Uh, Not only pressure to be applied to political leaders, but also pressure to be applied to corporate leaders to stop treating their employees who are helping to protect their business like the enemy here. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line.
2: Because that also happened to the Lululemon store. Remember, they ran out and the manager and the assistant manager ran after the guys who stole their goods. And they got fired.
0: Well, again, this is corporate policy. We've talked about it where, you know, of the the concern about liability. You don't want your employee to intercede and then get hurt. And I understand that. But like in the Lululemon case, that was in Georgia, I recall. You're, you're right. They watched them take all this merchandise off the tables and then run out. Then they just went outside to get the license plate to call police. Oh, right. And they were still disciplined. Uh, the one uh, girl I think was fired. Right. So that, that's not putting yourself in I harm's way. Be, that's yeah. just being a, a sensible Good Samaritan where you, you know, you're not trying to be a hero, but you are trying to do your civic duty to put people who behave that way, commit crimes like that, um, away or at least some level of accountability before well, the
2: law. We're just hardworking Americans, and you want to protect the product that you're trying to sell. And you know how much Lululemon pants are. I mean, they're expensive, right? You wear them. Because I don't wear many, I mean, I won't go, now I go to Athleta instead of Lululemon.
0: Now, the, the the flip side is, I guess, from if I'm playing corporate shill, mm-hmm. well, you know, if Kim Fox says that uh, theft of less than $1,000 isn't worth prosecuting, then it's um, not worth bothering my employees a, 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 about it either. We'll just, uh, you know, factor that into our bottom line in terms of the losses we're going to take courtesy of thievery, I guess. I mean, i that's about the only only rationale I can come up with is just to sort of kick the can back down the road to city halls, whether in Seattle or Chicago. But I just, I think the, the walkout is interesting. The employees taking it upon themselves to walk out. So, I mean, this is an instance where, I don't know, I mean, I kind of uh, appreciate their perspective. Because it is unsafe if you're going to essentially send a signal to that criminal element in a big city like Seattle, big metropolitan area, and say, okay, well, uh, our employees aren't going to do anything. You know, the authorities aren't going to do anything, so have at it. Somebody has to intervene because that can't stand. Three right.
2: one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. You can also reach us on our text line, which is up and running this morning. Six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: Another way to do it. <laughs> this is a little bit more high risk, and right. you know the, what we're talking about only really works in corporate settings because the small business owner, you know, doesn't have the luxury of this. Because in many cases, the small business owner is. The store employee. Right. Uh, Elmhurst. Elmhurst on Friday, police responded to an armed robbery call at the 7 uh, right downtown, 500 block of South York Street. So uh, this uh, guy displays a handgun at the clerk saying, give me everything or I'm going to shoot you. And That's the clerk like, give said, me hey, give me that. Give me and the clerk said, no. And really? Then, then de- what happened? He demanded again. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you everything. So this guy uh, took the Snapple that he stole and left the store without paying. Uh-huh. And then he was ultimately tracked down uh, by police. And uh, I, I, they're charged with armed robbery with a firearm. I I certainly I certainly would. uh Wow. Expect that he'll be, uh, per Pritzker's Perch law, he'll be out on the street pending uh, adjudication. Uh huh. No, they were actually denied release. He and his associate were actually denied release uh, by a DuPage County judge. So you have that line of defense, I guess, against Pritzker's purge law. That's about it. So I, but I, I don't think no is probably the play there when somebody brandishes a gun, generally speaking. No, but, I wow. Uh, comply. Yeah. Unless I the, was
2: armed myself.
0: The cash in the drawer, not worth tempting fate there. But I, I do appreciate the... Just take no. your Snapple and get the hell out of my store. Okay. Uh, Paul and Carrie are on Chicago's Morning Answer.
3: Hey, Dan, I wish you would uh, quit with the sensationalism if you had yeah. listened to uh, Mike Scott's uh, quip at the top of the hour from Pritzker. For the last three years, crime has gone down
4: in the city of Chicago.
0: Yeah. I don't know where don't know.
4: you're getting your stats from.
0: Yeah. I know, I, I you're right. Thanks for the call, Paul. That is definitely the uh line of propaganda that they're pitching. No question about it. Crime is because, down because year because over I year so. What's that?
2: Because he said so crime is down?
0: Well, because you're their point to year over year, this year versus last shootings and murders are slightly down, but all sorts of other violent or violence adjacent crimes are significantly up. In addition to that, as our friend Rafael Manguel points out uh, from the Manhattan Institute, they're doing this year over year. We had a, a crime spike in twenty nineteen twenty twenty that harkened back to the early nineties in in Chicago, or even the first couple years of Tiny Dancer. We we had a huge spike there, eight hundred plus murders and so forth. So they're comparing this, you know. Uh, A relatively modest decline in just a couple of serious categories of crimes, to be sure, uh, murders and shootings. But they're comparing that to, you know, almost historic highs. And what we've seen around the nation is 30 year highs in violent crime. So now it's murders and shootings are a little bit off this year. And, you know, the the uh, declaration of victory from Jelly Belly.
2: Got a, a lot of text messages, fraud. Dan and Amy. Good people are finally protesting for safety instead of for BLM
0: or Antifa. Yeah, mm-hmm. workers of the world unite for safety. Then, yeah,
2: another one. The over no, you guys are wrong. The overlying goal with corporate America and government is to get rid of physical stores. That's why they're letting people steal.
0: I'm like, mm. well, if they want to get rid of physical stores, they can just, just close it. them. <laughs> right. I, I, there's there's no restraint on them moving you know completely online and it doesn't seem like they want to do that because well, you've seen some of the evasive actions that have been taken by the pharmacies for example where everything is behind plexiglass yes. under lock and key that's you not can't ideal shop
2: like that i mean you, you don't have two hours to go to cbs you run you go there because it's convenient easy parking you run in you get your stuff and you leave but then you have to wait for an attendant but that something helping somebody else, so then you got to wait for that. So I I don't know if that's going to be a sustainable system.
0: Lenny, Southside.
5: How are how you doing this morning? Good. Hi, Lenny.
0: Yeah, what I call what I calling
3: about? Hello. hello? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What I'm calling about is see what's going on here is that the uh, the retailers are charging the consumers us. So what's happening? is This need to stop because. This adds to inflation and this is why everything costs so much when you go going in the store, because our taxpayer dollars are not being put to law enforcement to stop this, so we're paying out of our pockets for it. This this yeah. needs to
0: stop. Thanks for the call, Lenny. Yeah, I mean it definitely those uh costs are passed on to the consumer, right? Yeah, it's a good point. Mary Kay, Western Springs.
3: Hi guys, good morning. Um you sound weird today on the app I'm listening. Um can you hear
2: me okay?
0: I can hear you. Can you hear me? Now I can. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, good.
2: No. Yeah. Baby, you I'm sound
0: right.
2: <laughs> um, probably.
5: I I appreciate the safety aspect, um, like you said earlier, Dan. But I also don't appreciate that people just, you know, swipe off all the free
3: stuff, walk out with seven thousand dollars worth of merchandise, head on to an app or wherever they go and list it all on Poshmark or in the alleys or whatever. And they sell it out. That's, it's become a job.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a good point too. Right. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Oh, sure. I mean, is you spawn a cottage industry when you uh, encourage people to steal without consequence, like again, politicians in big cities, so many of them and, uh, and so many sort of weak need corporate c-suite types do
2: well remember after the george floyd riots and everybody you know they raided the burberry store on michigan avenue and then lo and behold two days later there was a long line of people trying to return i'm saying that in air quotes stuff at the burberry in oak brook
0: yeah was a lot of that going on when the, the looting was at its height no question dan and amy chicago's morning answer this is Chicago's morning answer.
3: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen
1: to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On a.m. 560, The Answer.
6: And politics and
0: sports
5: and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, against ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance.
0: Intersection. Hinsdale South on this installment of Sports and Politics. Mom sues Hinsdale South after her son, a two time all conference pick, is cut from the basketball team.
2: Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in da then a quick comment. Yeah, he was on varsity his sophomore year, his junior year, and then he got cut his senior year.
0: Aaron Savage's mom, she alleges that the Hinsdale South basketball coach Michael Belcaster. Cut her son, Brendan, after tryouts this fall in retaliation for the family filing a complaint against the previous coach, Michael Moretti. Uh, Belcaster, the current coach, was the sophomore coach under Moretti last season. Now he's the varsity coach. And (laughs) this goes back to her... Finally, a complaint against Moretti, the previous coach, for allegedly bullying and verbally abusing her son. Aaron Savage, I've never filed a lawsuit before. Our six kids have been involved in approximately 31 varsity sports at the high school. Who's counting, though? I've never complained about a coach, but we've also never encountered someone who thinks he can do whatever he wants. That was Moretti, the previous coach. Uh, Again, there's no real question that her son probably is good enough to play varsity. I mean, again, all-conference twice, Um, and uh, he was named Athlete of the Week at one point and so on and so forth. So he's a a pretty good basketball player.
2: Yeah, that's not in question. But if you're a good basketball player, then you should be on the team.
0: Um, You should? Is that the only, is that the only, is that the no, only I mean, qualification? Look at other
2: th- no, you're right. Co- coaches look at other things too. Attitude, you know, but it's, but I mean, he wouldn't be named all conference two years in a row if he had a bad attitude because coaches vote on that and coaches all talk to each other. So they know that he's got to be a good kid and he's ripped. I mean, you see his picture. He's in great shape. Why does he have to pay for the sins of his mom? Because his parents filed a complaint, not him.
0: Yeah, May 7th, Mom, Aaron Savage filed a complaint with the school board against the previous coach, verbal abuse, bullying, humiliation. Hmm. I'd like to know the details on that. Verbal abuse, bullying and and humiliation. That is too vague these days, especially.
2: I know, I want to, I I read the whole article to him like left me wanting so much more. Well, what exactly was your version or your definition of bullying? What happened to him?
0: The uh, board in its infinite wisdom said uh, the preponderance of the concluded, the preponderance of the evidence does not substantiate that the coach bullied your kid, but they went on to say his interactions have been inconsistent with the high standards of professionalism expected all under, of all employees under board policy, whatever that means. Again, it, how, how do you decipher this without having the details knowing how these government school districts operate? I mean, they're they're it's a horror shows all the way around. However, the idea that the that this is uh, a matter for civil litigation. By the way, it's not just she's not just asking for uh, uh, substantive relief in the form of her son being reinstated on the team. She's also asking for seventy five grand in attorney's fees.
2: Right, and they they' only the his the family's attorney doesn't want him on the team they want him to play like you can put him on the team and he could sit on the bench, and that's the same form of retaliation, but we want him on the court
0: yeah well Ooh. um that's how you want to uh, uh that's how you want uh high school sports to go <laughs> is through the courts uh um, the courts of law. Not the the basketball courts three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey 5600 pro answer line six four six three six d a turnkey dot text line. Um, here's my default position. Uh, yeah, there's something between the coaching staff and this kid, or this kid and his family. I don't know. Maybe it's just the family. Maybe it's just mom. Maybe it's just the kid. They don't want the headache. <clears throat> Coach's prerogative. That's my default on it. What's yours
2: I think that uh he should i honestly think that he should be on the team. I mean he scored thirty five points in their loss to Proviso east last season. He started as a sophomore and a junior
0: uh-huh.
2: I mean are you playing to win or are you playing to get back at a at a kid that's not even eighteen years old yet mm. who's still are you playing
0: are you playing to win um is that is that what you again you're a coach that's yeah that, at the varsity the-
2: level you play to win.
0: That's the you play at every level you play to win, but that is that's not the totality of the experience or the point of sports, is it? That that was not a rhetorical question. Oh no,
2: no. It's no it's not because you want to build character and you wanna have you wanna have people on the court that get along and you don't want to have headaches. Like if you know a player's a head case and has some drama and if it's a choice between that player and somebody who's got a little less drama but might not be that talented.
0: Yeah. You'll there probably are a lot, take that kid. The the athletic graveyards are full of guys with tons of talent who couldn't get their act together, either in terms of attitude or off-the-court-slash-field behavior, and they became more trouble than they're worth. I'm not saying that's the case with this kid because I don't know. I know. I just want more information. But that's why I'm saying – so the, what's the default – default is coach's prerogative and the idea that you're going to first of all the the his attorney the kid's attorney or the mom's attorney i guess says this is some sort of first amendment case i i don't know how that this is possibly a first amendment case
2: yeah but he's quote this is about what i feel is retaliation of his first amendment rights he spoke out against the coach they substantiated it the coach got demoted He tries out for the team. He's all-conference as a sophomore and junior, and now he doesn't make the team as a senior. That doesn't pass the smell test in my book.
0: Well, uh, first of all, the smell test is not uh, the uh, threshold question for uh, a First Amendment case uh, counselor. (laughs) What a clown. Um, No, actually, uh, in terms of – the first, his First Amendment rights, he can speak out against the coach and the coach can, you can call it retaliation or you can call it discipline or you can call it a decision he made in the best interest of the team. How's it violative of his First Amendment rights? Your First Amendment rights do not insulate you from reaction to what you said in a professional, including a school setting. So that's just, that's just, it's a, it's a nonsensical argument it's a nonsensical legal argument and in terms of him saying it is more trouble than he's worth this whole deal is more trouble than he's worth or even if it is retaliation well then that's the uh, that's an issue for for who for the family no it's an issue for the school district they're the ones who make hiring and firing decisions as i understand it they're the ones who set policy and if they felt that uh, uh, a demotion was sufficient for the circumstances, rather than a termination. And if they feel that um, the, co- the current varsity coach is well within his rights to make the decision he did with this kid, well, that's how it—that's how it's actually uh, meted out. This First Amendment case and this—what are you talking about? This is how it works.
2: I, I don't remember any kind of lawsuit like this ever. Do you? Uh, Where a kid ki- didn't make the varsity team and the parents sued the school and the superintendent and the coach. and
0: Clay in Libertyville. you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
5: Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, I'm pretty sure my smell test is a little more uh, scrutinized than Amy's smell test. Uh, yes, Dan, I do agree with you. I'm pretty sure I know this family— uh, I grew up in that area. I'm pretty sure I know them, and this would be out of pocket for them, out of character. Uh, if oh, I, you know, Hinsdale,
0: you know, you know this family, Savage family. I
5: think yes, I think um, I think I do know them. I, I don't think they even actually live in Hinsdale. You know, a lot of theater schools. Well, H- or Hinsdale or theater
0: South, theater. yeah, they could be yeah. outside of Hinsdale, but yeah, okay.
5: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of the right family, and I mean, they're a good Catholic family, you know. So yeah, it's six kids, you know, Irish Catholics.
0: Okay, um,
5: and it's it, that is out of character for them
0: to do
5: something along these lines without there being a very good reason for it.
0: Um, so, well, well, well. Yeah. The, maybe that. Maybe may, again, take the facts and the light most favorable to oh. the moving party, the plaintiff. So that this, the the mom complained about the coach because she thought he crossed the line. He gets uh, demoted. Uh, absolutely. and they and the and the coach retaliates against the kid. That's that. There's yeah. no there's no legal case there.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. You know that statement that there it, there is almost zero legal case here. Um, I think it's just you know they got retaliated against. So now we're going to re, re you know re re re
0: uh, retaliate. Yeah, re retaliate. Right. It's Hatfield exactly. and McCoy's now. Thanks. Uh, yep. Thanks, we'll thanks a for the lot call of
2: Text messages. Dan and Amy, the Bears basically gave a player away because he was not worth keeping even though he was a proven talent. It's a life lesson at the age of seventeen or eighteen.
0: It Happens all the time. It happens all the time. As I said, the stories are legion. And I'm not saying again, I don't want to put this kid in the uh, Alonzo Spellman camp or something, but um because you know, I don't know. This may just be Strictly between the adults here and the kid is caught in the middle. And that's unfortunate. But but again, then then you take it up with uh, the school board, first and foremost. And and I still would like to know, you know, the nature filing formal complaints and this and that. What what, what did the coach do? Verbally abusive, humiliating. Um, have you ever do? played basketball? I know with a with a for, for a fiery coach. I have. Have you ever played at sports for, uh, you know, with, you know, not everybody's Tom Landry in terms of their coaching style, and that's part of it. I mean, we right. just uh, mourned the passing of Bobby Knight uh, uh, a week or so ago. I mean, Bobby Knight's not everybody's cup of tea. But difficult to argue with the results, both on the court and off, in terms of character development, in terms of what he did for his players and so forth, which we discussed.
2: Oh, I just want to know what happened. Because I'm a, I mean, my son was all conference. He played for four years, varsity basketball. And if that happened to him, I'd probably, I mean, I'd want to do the same thing. You want to get him back out there. But I, again, I don't know what the allegations are. You
0: want to get out, Well, you want to get him back out there, but but no. Hey, there's well, the Well, Because breaks.
2: I know that he's got a good attitude. So I don't know what this kid's attitude was. I don't know if he was coachable, I, you know but he did get all conference and again other coaches What if coaches you don't what if what, if, what, what forget that. all
0: that? What if you don't want to what if you don't want to deal with the family? I don't want to deal I've with the family. If you,
2: you're in situations like that, and you got to separate yourself like, okay, you don't want to deal with the family, then you don't take their calls, then you don't respond to their emails. You have your athletic director or your principal respond to that family. That's so that one way to do it. Leave you alone. That's, That's why one, I did one that. situation one year years back. I'm like, I'm, yeah. not, I'm done. I'm not taking it out on the kid cuz I like the kid.
0: Everybody's got a different approach to problem-solving, and then your employer has to make a decision about your problem-solving skills, right? Isn't that how it works?
2: They're support you or they're not. So,
0: Isn't that, so that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it doesn't work where I didn't agree with the board's decision, and I don't want to send my kid to another school, so I'm going to try to impose my will by cooking up some half-baked legal theory to have a court do what his coach in the school district won't? No, I don't think so. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook
1: or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer.
6: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today. 773-467-5630. 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the uh, city is uh, pivoting with respect to its plans for migrants. We've talked about this a little bit with starting to empty out the police stations and, uh, the, of course, the announcements that were made before Thanksgiving by both Pritzker and BLM Brandon, Jelly Belly and BLM Brandon, that were... Uh, essentially, I guess, supposed to be complementary plans, even though yeah, so they were doing it. They were there. Uh, they seem to be operating separately. But, of course, Brandon Johnson wants the state's money to help with the provisions uh, for migrants. So uh, the their relationship is interesting and evolving. Uh, so now we have this landing zone set up now. This is at 800 South the near the uh, Maxwell Street market. So that's where migrants are now taken.
2: Right. They don't want them dropped off at the Sears Tower or anywhere else in the city. They want them taken there between eight and ten o'clock at night. So we eight.
0: have um, uh, twelve hundred, according to OEM, uh, OEMC. There's uh, the number of migrants at police stations is down to twelve hundred from a peak of like three thousand three hundred. Eight stations, eight police stations have been emptied altogether. The number of migrants at O'Hare has fallen. From a peak of nearly a thousand to about 165, according to the city. Again, um, it is interesting to note they're partly attributing this to fewer arrivals. I don't. I mean, I, hmm. yeah, it may be Somebody winter get here. Message? <laughs> but it's not. It's not winter at the border. So I, I wonder. Yep. I wonder if this is a decision by Abbott or if this is a decision by those coming into this country legally.
2: All I know, because when I lived in El Paso and Tucson and was sent to Nogales a lot during the wintertime, not a lot of activity because the desert gets deadly cold at night. So it's, um, but also too, they might be getting the message that, um, yeah, it, the grass is not greener on the other side of the Rio Grande. I mean, they, they've got to be seeing these images thinking, do I want to live on the sidewalk in Chicago in the wintertime?
0: Right. That's, I'm yeah. sure that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, So 26,000 migrants have been bused or flown to Chicago since August of 2022, over the last year plus.
2: We had one yesterday, a busload yesterday, and over the Thanksgiving weekend, we had four busloads, but they weren't packed. The buses weren't packed. Uh,
0: Still 13,000 in uh, shelters in Chicago. Again, this is all city data, so take that as you will. Um. There are uh, new regulatory tools the city announced for rogue buses, rogue buses dropping off migrants at points other than the designated receiving area. Isn't this interesting? You know what they're setting up, it seems to me? What? Border security.
2: Oh. 312-642-5600, Answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, six four six three six. Type in D-A, then a quick comment.
0: So these rogue buses, if uh, buses drop people off after hours or with no one to receive them, uh, violators could be fined between two and $10,000. So, so what you're saying then, um, BLM Brandon and Jelly Belly, is if you want to come to Chicago, you have to go to a port of entry. Huh. Hmm. I, you know, that's just crazy enough to work at the border.
2: You're right. It should be happening at the border. Um, Checking in, background checks, fingerprint, the whole thing.
0: I, I just, I just, um, I, I mean, again, I know the irony is lost on most of the residents of Chicago, but it entertains me, and that's the most important thing. Um, and... uh that Brighton Park base camp is underway. Uh, well, I mean, there's no firm construction date, but it's moving. And um, I do have some information about the ownership group. It was suggested that, uh, who, I mean, uh, the yeah, it really is sort of a group because they're in business together. Right. It was suggested uh, on this show a couple weeks back, I think when Cass was sitting in for you, that the property was owned by uh, Michael Tadden and um, others, and that is true. Now, this is Michael Tadden, Jr. For those steeped in your Chicago political corruption history. Yeah, let me uh, get out
2: my book so I can keep score. Okay.
0: Uh, this is uh, Hire Truck. Uh, Tadden, Tadden, Tadden. Um, This He was uh, like the kingpin of of hire truck this was the program under richie daly to for the city to pay private contractors to rent vehicles and equipment oh, okay. uh this is uh i, I think it, something i mean it was tens of millions of dollars that were paid to companies like uh, uh Taddens. um and what was found is that many of the Vehicles that were leased were sitting around, not being used, but the city company was still getting paid. Yeah, the city was paying out anyway. And uh, uh, Tadden grew up in Bridgeport, so friend O. Daly, and uh, he was central there. He's also there. Was also issues that he had with um, you know alleged fly dumping and so on and so forth, but uh, you know environmental land use issues but but anyway so uh it is tadden and another guy named uh tony sanchez mm-hmm. who own that property at 38th in california in brighton park that's going to be turned into a base camp and we're so so
2: paying what ninety two thousand dollars a month rent or to lease that space
0: so yeah something on, on that order and yeah. so uh so i just want to make sure to separate uh ted jr was not implicated in a higher truck this is his son obviously not the father that dates back to higher trucks so i just want to make that clear um but they are in business together uh, a company called matt asphalt developed by in a by a part this is from their website by a partnership that includes Buildsmore llc which is owned by tony sanchez mckinley park llc owned by Charles and Dan Gallagher, and Matt Asphalt, LLC, owned by Michael Tadden, Jr. So there you go. That's the ownership of the property. And, you know, so is there something maybe is, it, is that property owned because of connections that date back? Uh, perhaps. Uh, is, there op- is, is this the choice of that site because of connections in the present? Perhaps. That's usually how it is in Chicago. Sounds like but the I Biden can't family. Well not exactly, but I that's I don't I don't know. I don't know, so I don't want to say things that I don't know. I'm just saying what I do know and what you do know about the city and it prompts more questions. It is interesting. I don't know what the plans were for that piece of property beforehand. I don't know if it was particularly commercially viable. I don't know if They're paying market rate, the city, or better. Um, I don't know if it constitutes a sweetheart deal, but I think these are questions that should be asked. I don't know if, gosh, uh, if the city is going to essentially be doing improvements to the property that will make it more marketable if and when the base camp is no longer, which is another aspect of a possible, possible sweetheart deal.
2: And I think that people forget what Mayor Johnson said. Once that these tents are up and the migrants are gone, we're going to use it to house the homeless. So when those residents are protesting, I get what they're protesting. They don't want their property values to decline.
0: Well, uh, among other things. Right. Whether the the base camp stays uh, as a permanent structure or not, I'm not sure that it will. But we'll see. I mean, part of this is unknowable because will the situation at the border continue to be what it is? Will we be on this merry-go-round between the seasons, spring and summer into winter? So they come in the spring and summer. They don't come in the winter. You have infrastructure that's built that can more easily handle and incorporate it. Uh, More people, they'll be grumbling, but so what? You know what do I have to worry about? Uh, the sort of you know basic attitude of the political ruling class for for time immemorial in Chicago. It but it's really hard to say. You get a new president in November of next year. You have new border policy. Things can change. It's hard to. It's difficult to say, but it's not difficult to understand. The perspective of this political ruling class, starting with the two chieftains, Jelly Belly and BLM Brandon, and how the city still works. And works is in quotes. Jose at Midway, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
3: Yeah. Good morning.
5: On behalf of the uh, son running the Michael Tadden trucking company. All the names were changed when when he, was, when he was barred from doing city business. All he did was change the name, put all the companies under his son's name. I'll hang up and
2: listen. What a joke this city is.
0: All right. Thanks for the call, Jose. Well, uh, if Jose... Like
2: nothing's I, changed.
0: I don't know if that's true. It wouldn't surprise me if it was true and that uh, Senior is still a shadow operator uh, with Junior as the front. I don't know that to be true. But uh, Jose brings up another question that, you know, if we had if we only had a Chicago press corps, if we only had uh, Hmm. news outlets in Chicago uh, that could ask the mayor and these uh, property owners these pertinent questions, then maybe we could get some clarity. But since we don't have that, it's just left to uh, us to wonder aloud about these things. You see. Uh, Greg in Jefferson Park.
7: Hey, good morning, Dan Amy.
1: Hey, Dan, you said, I don't know, about 15 times talking about this. I I, I think you're like prime candidate to be a, a big contractor. <laughs> we don't want nobody,
2: nobody's <laughs> sense. Exactly. Yeah, be, the road moves with prompt. Hey, you know. The Palumbos are gone out of business. Remember, the earth moves. Well, they're with not the out Palumbo. of business. They're, they're out of out state business, business
0: but they're not out of business. Um, uh, Greg, hey, I'm just trying to wet my beak over here.
2: You know? <laughs> You want a piece of the action? I want I to be get a, a security guard there and get $65,000 a month with I'm, overtime. Hello? You know, I'm
0: I'm very forgetful. I don't know this uh, and I don't know that. I don't know what
2: D's and D's are.
0: I've heard of these things, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't comment.
2: Hmm.
0: You might think so. I, I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, George in Naperville.
3: Yes, Dan, why does our native homeless get sloppy seconds from the migrants regarding the tent.
0: Oh, the homeless getting sloppy. Oh, sloppy seconds. Meaning, if the base camps are turned into uh, homeless shelters, well, I mean, I don't know. They're staying at Ditka's. The homeless are Coach, getting to stay Coach. at Ditka's. Yeah, that's <laughs> not, not terrible. They're in the Gold Coast. I mean, it's better that, than a lot uh, of people are doing.
2: Yeah, getting three meals a day, getting maid service. I mean, there people are turning down the. I wonder if they get the what's it called at night when they turn down your bed with a little chocolate on the pillow. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a nice touch.
0: The uh, people getting sloppy seconds are the taxpayers, but exactly. they seem to be satisfied with sloppy seconds in Chicago. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM 560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560 The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So yesterday, more hostages released. That's good news.
2: Yeah, two Uh, mothers and nine children, the youngest being three years old.
0: uh, Including three with ties to America, but not three from the believed eight to ten that we're hearing from the Biden administration, Americans uh, who are being held hostage. Uh, and this, of course, uh, in exchange for Israel releasing 33, uh, 33 Palestinians they have in custody. So there's three to one that holds up. So the ceasefire extends for two more days. That was announced yesterday. More hostages ostensibly will be released today in keeping with the extension of the ceasefire. Uh, pressure on the West. <laughs> pressure on the West. This is uh, an interesting um, riff from a bbc reporter about uh, the mounting pressure on the west which really is coming from the western press coming from western academics uh coming perhaps from some politicians in the democrat socialist party but i i don't feel any pressure and i don't think most uh politicians mainly Republicans, because that's who we're talking about, who uh, otherwise support Israel and want to see Israel eradicate Hamas and, frankly, other terrorist organizations that are sponsored by Iran. I don't think they feel pressure, but this gives you a sense. This is the pressure that the Western media is trying to generate on Western governments. Here's James Land. James Landale, BBC. Looking at Lord Cameron, and they're looking at the Americans, they're saying there's a double standard here. You preach international law, and yet you ignore uh, the criticisms that are made against Israel. You are saying civilians need to be defended in Ukraine, but they seem to be less well defended uh, in Gaza. Those arguments are being made against the West now, and I think the West now is beginning to feel that, and that's why some of the language is beginning to be cranked up by people like lord cameron and other politicians who are visiting saying to the israelis look we're reaching a point where perhaps something needs to shift but we're not there yet Mm -hmm. um civilians in ukraine versus civilians in gaza there's a big difference isn't there first of all so so there should be no pressure felt by idiotic arguments and false comparisons although I'm sure there is pressure being felt by the Biden administration, thus their middling rhetoric on some of these topics. Um, Civilians in Ukraine, yes, because they're being uh, attacked by the Russians, uh, bombed by the Russians, so that's a problem. Uh, The difference is the Ukrainians are not hiding behind civilians, using them as human shields. They're not operating from... Uh, a tunnel complexes underneath hospitals, right, Mr. Landale? The uh, false equivalences, they're manifest. It's, he sounds like he's trying out to be the president of Ivy League school. Uh, for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Francis Rooney, who's a former congressman from southwest Florida, former U.S. ambassador to the Holy See, author of the book The Global Vacation. Uh, Francis Rooney, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it
3: have me on. Yeah, the
0: book is the Global Vatican. I'm sorry. What did I say? Vacation. I'm. 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 I'm thinking of where I want to be on vacation. Sorry, the Global Vatican, of course, is the book. That would make sense from the former ambassador to the Vatican, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, so uh, your perspective on the uh, the deal that was struck uh, on, B, on in at least in part on behalf of the United States, but with respect to the uh, prisoners for hostages. And the ceasefire is this uh, in the best interest of America?
3: I don't think I've ever seen one of these hostage transfer deals work out long term. It just everybody keeps up in the ante, and the fact that we traded uh, captured people from Hamas for prisoners, leaders of the Hamas insurrection in Israel, is a little bit abhorrent to me. I think the words you used, false equivalency, were very good. This BBC guy's office rocker, you know, yeah. the Ukraine was invaded. So what happens to their civilians is totally different than what happens to Gaza civilians who've been putting up with these governments for years, been abused by their governments, allowing their governments to steal, and now they invaded Israel. So the, the innocents we should be worried about, like the Ukrainians, are the Israeli innocents who were attacked.
0: And so um, what would your recommendation be in terms of the posture that this administ- the, the, the American president, Biden, and this administration take vis-a-vis the deals that Israel and, I guess, Qatar are negotiating?
3: If it were me, I would say that uh, we're not going to exchange uh, uh, terrorist leaders for civilian people. And I would say that the United States re- remains firmly committed to backing Israel in its effort to eliminate Hamas and bring some kind of stability uh, to that area which, for the people of Israel, quite frankly, who are attacked by Hamas.
2: Well, what do you think about President Biden? I I feel like he's going back on his promise a little bit. Did you know about that secret meeting that he held at the White House with White House staffers and a group of Muslims Americans? Muslim Americans, excuse me. And he apologized for excessive skepticism over the number of Palestinian deaths released by Hamas. And he said to the group, quote, I'm sorry, I'm disappointed in myself.
3: You know, this guy is so weak, so confused. And he talks out of both sides of his mouth. Whoever's in the room last gets told what they want to hear. You know, all this trash talk about uh, the innocent Palestinians and, and all that, this is a country run by an enemy of Israel and everybody else, quite frankly, that if we can eliminate it, it's better. And I'm sorry some innocent people are going to die, but they've got a really bad geography where they're living, and they've had a long time to deal with their own internal problems in in, in Gaza, and they haven't done it.
0: Yeah, well, and, it, and it, there's um, a lot of question about just how many of the residents of Gaza see Hamas as an internal problem, which is a whole other uh, topic that—that's that, uh, right.
3: That's yeah. the whole point. That is yeah. their problem to deal with. Remember that Ehud Barak, at the end of Clinton's uh, time, offered, um, um, Arafat everything Arafat asked for, and Arafat stood up and walked out of the room because he didn't want peace. He needs a pinata to hold up above the people so he can, you know, steal more money and 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 and, and run the Palestinian authority. There's uh, still no better
2: than that
0: right now under Hamas. No, clearly. Uh, Chris Murphy, he's a Democrat socialist from uh, Connecticut, as you know, senator, saying uh, of aid USA to Israel that uh, it needs to be conditioned to compliance with U.S. law and international law. He said, I think you can defeat Hamas without this level of civilian casualty, which he calls unacceptable.
3: Well, he, he wants his cake and eat it, too. He wants to take out Hamas without any collateral damage. I don't think that's possible the way the geography is configured over there.
0: And so uh, should Republicans continue the push that started in the House to uh, provide aid for Israel in a standalone fashion rather than this sort of uh, holistic deal that would include Ukraine and uh, funding for uh, more border personnel to serve as secretaries uh, that uh, the Democrats are pushing?
3: Yeah, I think we ought to deal with each case as it comes. And unfortunately, none of the elected people like to do that because it makes it too simple and clear for the voters to decide about them. They want, they want oatmeal and we want steak. We need to have Israel supported and they need to take them off out. And I think that any of these college professors— They continue to support their students protesting against Israel for Palestine, but need to have some kind of real rude awakening. Uh, This business that happened in Harvard, where these students protested to the president, and she cowered to them, just like Biden cowering to those staffers. Get some new staffers.
2: I know. You don't uh, question the president, and you, you lead. You don't even entertain them. I mean, the fact that he asked for their opinion, and then listened to it, and then groveled saying i'm sorry i'm disappointed i'm disappointed in myself makes me sick
0: yeah at at harvard at harvard this is what the students wanted this is what they demanded of the harvard president claudine gay divest any investments in quote-unquote illegal settlements in palestine uh reinstate a proctor suspended for taking part in a mob that surrounded and harassed a jewish student And a promise from Harvard that pro-Palestinian students and workers engaging in, quote-unquote, nonviolent protest would face no disciplinary action. That's what Claudine Gay uh, cowered uh, before, as you described. So um, in in terms of the reckoning for colleges, starting with the Ivy League, but certainly not exclusive to the Ivy League, um, there's things Congress can do, isn't there?
3: (laughs) Well, if it were up to me, I'd cut their money off of course, if it were up to me, I'd cut their money off for a lot of other things. Yeah, right. I mean, higher well, education is nothing but a creature of the federal government.
0: Well, oh, oh, so so cut their money off, uh, meaning research grants, meaning tax endowments. What sure. what should Republicans should be proposing?
3: Yeah, I would just get out of the education funding business entirely. I mean, they obviously are deranged and, and off a center by the kind of things they've been advocating ever since this free speech stuff came up about four years ago. When the only two people in the country that were rational about it were Mitch Daniels and that guy at the University of Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about at the K through 12 level? I mean, I know it's a, it's a drop in the bucket uh, because it's mostly state and local funding. But, uh, you know, school districts like Chicago, like Chicago Public Schools, get about 10% of their funding from the feds. What about the same thing there? I mean, we see similar behavior. There was a high school in Queens where a a Jewish uh, uh, teacher, public health teacher, I think, um, was uh, surrounded, (laughs) accosted uh, by her students, the students at this high school in Queens, because she dared to go protest a uh, rally on behalf of Israel saying I stand with it, holding up a sign saying I stand with Israel. They found it on social media, and it was a mob action at the high school. Uh, perhaps there should be pressure at the state and local level, too, for, in the same direction as with the colleges.
3: Yeah, there sure should. I mean, maybe this is a new facet of the parental role in children's education. It's got people like Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis started. It has proven to take, take root all around the country. But people want to make sure they know what their kids are reading, what they're being taught, if they're not being brainwashed, and certainly this this recent facet of of whether you uh allow Palestinians to walk all over Jewish teachers and things uh, and 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 eliminate the free speech of the of the Jewish teachers is ridiculous,
2: yeah, hey, I wanted to ask you real quick about the American hostages because I remember when we had the American hostages in Iran i we we knew their names. We people are tying yellow ribbons around trees. You know, it's been 52, now 53 days. And President Biden even said over the weekend that he didn't know uh, what what American hostages will be released by Hamas or whether they're even alive. And then he went shopping, Christmas shopping. So where is there's no sense of urgency? Is there something going on that we don't know? No, I don't think there's anything going
3: on. That's the problem. We're taking our orders from Hamas. They're deciding who to send over, negotiating with the Israelis. And and I think that they're the Israelis will just soon get all Israelis out first. So we may be at counter purposes with them. Hamas is going to try to send a representative sample that makes them look as good as possible. It's not rocket science. It's just basically the, the politics of war.
0: And um, I mean, the other aspect of this, too, is what we're doing vis-a-vis Iran or more to the point not doing, uh, particularly as it pertains to enforcing sanctions that would uh, cut off some of their oil money.
3: You know, uh, just as ridiculous as this uh, Palestinian support thing and, and the, the, the cloud of, of, of a, how to deal with Hamas and PA and Hezbollah and all that, it used to be quite clear How about this whole Iranian thing that started with Obama and has been revived by Biden? I mean, I don't understand why we want to continue to help people who hate us and want to take us out.
0: It is confusing. Um, Before we let you go, since you were uh, ambassador to the Vatican, I wanted to uh, ask you about Pope Francis uh, because he's been in the news for uh, taking out Bishop Strickland in Texas. Now he's in the news for allegedly targeting uh, the former head of the Arch in St. Louis, uh, Cardinal Burke, uh, for hosting um, uh, the uh, Gender Confused uh, for lunch. Um, What's your assessment of Pope Francis' leadership of the Church?
3: Well, let's put it this way. I'm glad I was ambassador when Benedict was Pope. Strong friend of the United States, strong focus on the liturgy of the Church, and not really so focused on these social programs that this this pope has been focused on. This guy comes from South America, the home of liberation theology, Mm -hmm. part of whose effort is to get more money out of the developed world and make the developed world feel like they need to do more for these basically corrupt countries that don't take care of their people.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I don't think the uh, newly minted president of Argentina is a big fan either. So it'll be interesting is to see what kind of welcome home he gets from uh, uh, from President uh, Millet. But uh, I digress. Francis Ro- Francis Rooney, former congressman for for from Southwest Florida, former U.S. ambassador to the Holy See, author of the book The Global Vatican. Francis Rooney, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
2: Th- thank you for having me on. Thank you, and he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line
0: about the big stories of the day, then
1: talk about them, right here on Chicago's Morning Answer, on AM560,
0: The Answer. That drop from the hunt for Red October means it's time for in-depth history with Frank from Arlington Heights, because there's nothing new in this world, it's just the history you don't know. I understand Joaquin Phoenix has informed Frank's most recent offering. Frank, take it away.
4: Good morning. With a new movie on Napoleon out, I was reminded of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803 when President Jefferson violated his own strict constructionist views and bought 530 million acres of land from France, nearly doubling the size of the United States. But as a kid, I always wondered, though, how France even had Louisiana, given they had lost all North American possessions except a few islands after the French and Indian War ended in 1763. The answer lies in the 1762 Treaty of Fontainebleau, a secret treaty in which France ceded all Louisiana west of the Mississippi to Spain because they thought they might soon lose it to England. But Napoleon, after his 18 Brumaire coup in 1799, forced Spain to cede it back to France. Then four years later, he sold it to bolster his navy for his hoped-for invasion of hated England, the nation of shopkeepers, as he called them, mocking Adam Smith. Ironically, Jefferson sent Monroe and Livingston to Paris to only buy New Orleans, but Napoleon went all in. Now, Napoleon may have been a genius at using artillery with an army, but his navy failed, losing the seminal Battle of Trafalgar off the coast of Gibraltar in 1805 to the intrepid Admiral Horatio Nelson, who lost his life defending his country. Louisiana, of course, remained in our hands, but the state itself retains a French imprint with its parishes instead of counties, and it's more Roman civil law code.
0: And that is another installment of In-Depth History with Frank from Arlington Heights. Very good, Frank. Very timely. Way to weave in pop culture. We like yes. it.
2: Yes. Gonna go see the movie now.
1: Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, the Answer. <laughs> This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
2: Welcome to Haiti. We're with a group of radio hosts. So please join us on this journey as we travel through Haiti and the good work that Food for the Poor does for those in need.
7: The other two big problems in this community are water. The only source of water is from an irrigation canal. They do drink from it because it's the only choice that they they have, but it makes the kids sick. They've even had some cases of cholera. And then food. Uh, Food is a big problem. Marie was telling me earlier that she was able to feed her kids a little bit of cornmeal this morning that she got from a neighbor, but nothing else to
0: eat today. when you do find food, but there's not enough for everybody, how do you decide who gets to eat?
1: i rather give each one
5: the smallest portion so that everyone can find something to hold their hearts.
2: What gives her strength to, to keep on going and to keep fighting?
1: I
5: pray to God. Sometimes I wake up... And I can't get up, but I pray
0: to God and I ask for strength. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That was obviously uh, Amy during yeah, her time in Haiti.
2: Yeah, our trip in 2017 when we went to different villages. We went to Desert Goat and Savant Capri and met people who really, they're deciding which child to feed. Do I feed my oldest one tonight? Do I feed my youngest one? And. Um, Food for the poor, if they were not there on the ground in Haiti and in Latin America, children would starve to death. There's, there's just no question in my mind because they don't have a government to back them, the people in need to feed them. So they rely on food for the poor in order to get their food, in order to get clean water, because food for the poor goes into villages and puts in a water filtration system a well so to speak so that they can drink clean water and in a lot of cases too they build them little houses that they can live in instead of um huts or tents you know handmade uh, tents that they live in so it's it's real poverty out there and i know times are so hard for americans right now i know a lot of you are living paycheck to paycheck and you've never had to do that before but if you can donate because today's Giving Tuesday, if you can, do we'll triple match every dollar given. Will be matched with three dollars worth of food. So you can sign up to be a business benefactor, which we'll get into, or you could just visit our website five sixty theanswercom dot com slash food for the poor. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, they will triple match your donation today.
0: Five uh, sixty answercom dot com, and then uh, click the red Give Life banner as well uh, to participate in the Giving Tuesday triple match that Amy just mentioned. For more on uh, the work, uh, we're pleased to be joined by Paul Jacobs. Paul, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
8: It's great to be here. And can I just ask a question? Who in the world is messing with the thermostat? It is 15 degrees. Can somebody please make it a little bit warmer here in Chicago?
0: <laughs> yeah, that uh, that's, can happen when winter sets in, unfortunately. I'm
8: from Florida. This is not supposed to happen in my bones. Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: um, uh well, these days. Anyway, so um, so t- tell us about uh, yes. sort of the state of affairs here with respect to uh, the campaign that uh, you're doing with us and with other Salem stations to uh, provide this uh, life-saving assistance. This is
8: exciting because our Day of Hope, coupled with the fact that we are today Kicking off our campaign on Giving Tuesday, a day where every dollar is matched with $3 worth of food. That means that, yes, Amy, you said it so so, uh, accurately that people are struggling right now, living paycheck to paycheck. Things economically have not been any worse in this country. But you can just imagine in a place like Haiti. Where a mother is earning possibly a dollar or two a day when civil unrest coupled with that failing economy and joblessness coming out of three years of COVID has made things that much worse since your trip to Haiti and my trip to Haiti as well. And so now we're asking you to just consider what your $1 could do, what $80 could do, what you as a business or a ministry with a gift of $2,500 on this day, providing 94 children, not for a meal for a month, not for a couple of months, not till the end of this year. No, we're talking about two meals a day for 94 children for an entire year. And so there are families waiting for your answer right now. And I want to say thank you to Diane from Bridgeview. She gets it. A $100 gift. She called us toll-free at 844-862-4673. You know, Dan, you said something earlier. You said this is not political. And we shouldn't make this political. We should make this about what this season is. It's a season of giving. It's a season of thinking of others. And when we think about the time we've just spent in Thanksgiving, family, Friends and community, could we expand our borders this morning with our our definition of community and save lives?
2: And you've been around since 1982. You've delivered more than 12 billion dollars worth of food, and people don't know that when you donate to Food for the Poor, the money goes to the poor, and you have these feeding centers. And I remember, um, you know, people came from miles. In Haiti to walk to get a bucket of rice and a bucket of beans. Are those still up considering the civil unrest that's going on in Haiti?
8: That's a great question. We have actually had to suspend the canteen operations, but, you know, COVID uh, created uh, a level of creativity that we have never seen in our over 40-year existence. What we ended up doing was we started to do regional distribution centers. Our pastors and local ministry partners said we still need to feed these families. There are still even more families that are in need. So now we take those dry rations and those food kits and spread them across the country in various areas so that we're still still working with the church. We're still helping get your gift to the families that need food and the children, especially, that are, the schools are shut down or their parents are not working anymore. They are still getting that food because we've been able to get creative with our regional food distribution centers from Port-au-Prince all the way to the north in cap
2: do people still walk miles, though, to get the bucket of rice and beans like they did before?
8: Oh, absolutely. You, you just think, for example, in a place like Gun, which is about an hour outside of Port-au-Prince, there are teams of, commu- of, of families that literally walk for an hour, two hours. One particular mother, she walked about two hours just to get the only food that their fa- that family we'll see and quite frankly the families have grown families have come together and it was a a family of five has now grown to sometimes 15 in their household because these families have consolidated their efforts together so that they could survive and there are still families walking one and two hours but now instead of having to come to our headquarters where everything runs in port-au-prince where you've traveled they now can go somewhere that is a little closer in their community
0: uh we talked about this over the last couple of years um with COVID, as you were describing, yeah. and uh, how the supply chain breakdowns. I actually, I, re- I remember vividly uh, before the lockdowns. Um, Beasley was David Beasley, the head of the UN World Food Program, was saying, "Please do not lock down your economies in the West, because you're going to uh, you're going to disrupt and irreparably harm our supply." chains and thus our ability to feed people you're going to induce a lot more death than you're going to prevent essentially what he was saying and I thought that was pretty persuasive and I wonder how um, how the the sort of the the holistic environment is with respect to trying to get a food and potable water to people in need now that we're a little further removed from those lockdowns?
8: Yeah, that's exactly uh, That's a great question because what's happened now is we've had to get creative. And of course, Haiti is a very unique situation with quite a bit of civil unrest and a lot of things that are happening. Food for the poor now, than like never before, is in need to do the work that we've continued to do through COVID, through the civil unrest, through everything that's gone on, have, food for the poor has not stopped. But we've gotten creative with our ministry partners and our community leaders where we have been able to, where where roads have been closed, we take barges. Where we cannot get to the north because just there is no access, we've shipped into other ports. So we've been able to figure out ways where we are the, probably one of the very, one of very few NGOs that are still getting Getting hundreds of containers into the country with the gifts and the food that your listeners are providing right now on this donation on this day of hope
2: yeah and besides the food i mean you do help with water purification systems well so to speak i remember when we went to savant capri yeah. people kids were swimming in this water in this little river dan but then there was also a donkey in there and then there was people bathing in there and then there's people grabbing buckets of water to drink and it was just such a strange dichotomy watching this and That's why the kids were getting sick.
8: Yeah, it's interesting. You, you talk about food for the poor and is, is a bit of a misnomer in our name that uh, we are not just providing food. We began with a food program in 1982 in Kingston, Jamaica and expanded to now uh, primarily 19 countries across the Car- Latin America and the Caribbean. But in particular with Haiti and what you say, the there are houses being built for families that, um, that literally are living in total destitution. Uh, huts, I can only call them shacks or huts. I, I I have a shed in my backyard that is of, of, is a, a structure more sturdy than what we've seen in Haiti. Uh, now they have locking doors. Now they have uh, a private bathroom where they can wash and bathe in dignity. Uh, water, as you said, Amy, you know, I remember traveling to a community where on one side there's a, uh, there was a guy washing his motorcycle. On the other side, there is a team of uh, moms doing laundry. And in the middle, there was this little girl, her name was Chauvelin, that was siphoning out in a bucket. The water that she would drink and have to cook with, her mom would have to cook with that night. But today, our goal is food. And today, we're tr- at the tip of the spear, which is giving healthy, nutritious food to these children.
2: And the number to call if you want to be- make a donation, 844-862-4673. 844-862-4673, or visit 560 theanswercom food for the poor. And remember, up until midnight tonight, Every do- dollar that you give on this giving Tuesday will be triple matched uh, three dollars worth of food, including if you sign up to become a business benefactor
0: talking to Paul Jacobs from food for the Poor I said Paul, let me uh, pose the question of the uh, the cynic uh, it's a role I was born to play, um, and I think I have he an answer to Well. The, I think I have an answer to the question <laughs> that I'm about to pose, but I want to hear yours because it'll probably sure. be better. What do you say to the person that says you know can't countries like Haiti ever get their act together. This is just interminable. And, um, and, and it feels like the uh, support that we provide doesn't solve the fundamental problem.
8: You know, up until October 25th, 2010, I had a PhD in <laughs> cynicology myself before I came to work here <laughs> at Food for Poor, but my family being of Jamaican descent, my wife's family, uh, my wife is from Guatemala. She used to be uh, the administrator for one of our ministry partners there. And seeing uh, that what is happening in the lives of the communities, you know, it is no fault of Murray the mom that Amy met on her trip to Haiti. It is no fault of, you know, Chauvelin, the little girl that I met siphoning out that filthy water. It is the fault of the the institutions that hold them back from really progressing. And that's why, for more than 40 years, Food for the Poor is working with trusted ministry partners, not the local government. We are not paying tariffs and fees so that we can get our items into the country that are going to the government. No, we are working with ministries on the ground, and we... Push all of that back so that we can save lives. And that is why you listening right now and questioning whether Food for the Poor is somewhere where you would like to invest your hard-earned dollars to save lives. Well, Dan and Amy can tell you, because Amy's seen it firsthand, and we've had a long-term partnership with uh, Salem, Chicago and WIMD AM560 and we do the work that we say we're going to do, not just for the time we've worked with this station, but for more than 40 years.
0: And, and again, um, I'm, I, I always like to add this just because of the uh, credential. This is an important credential. Five-star charity navigator rated, 90% plus of the uh, dollars raised go directly to the programming, meaning the food and mm-hmm. resources for the, for the people that uh, you're serving. Yeah, that's
8: exactly right. What are others saying about Food for the Poor should answer the question. We can say as much as we want to say and break our arms patting ourselves on the back. But there are other organizations like Charity Navigator, like the Better Business Bureau, that have already vetted us and audited us and seen the work that we're doing and seen the outcomes. And there's no greater testimony than all of the Salem broadcasters uh, that you listen to on a regular basis. Mike Gallagher, Amy Jacobson, uh, that have seen it, Um, formerly uh, Larry Elder. Who's formerly of Salem has traveled firsthand and seen the work on the ground that Food for the Poor does, uh-huh.
0: and,
2: and it really is unbelievable the conditions that they're living in. They don't they don't have beds. The kids were sleeping on the floor in one of the huts that we went to, and you know they just want would love a blanket. Yeah. And kids in America, you know, they went, oh I want a Barbie doll for Christmas or I want a, you know a race car. They just want food. <laughs> yeah. Well, also <laughs> or, too, I mean, just the, the
0: the 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 idea. I mean, just to, to put this in. Uh, uh, An exclamation point on this 80 bucks gives three kids food for a year. I mean, that's that's a it's amazingly cost effective. You can't believe you could actually do that for 80 bucks, frankly.
2: And you can make a donation on behalf of a well fed child or grandchild that you have, and for Christmas, say, Hey, you know what, you have everything, so I I made this donation to food for the poor, and you're helping three kids eat for a year.
0: The uh, number, again, 844-862-4673, that's the toll-free number. You can also text WIND to 93999, Herman K 93999. <laughs> uh, and uh, click red the red Give Life banner at dot com to donate as well.
2: And, Dan, we have some good news. We have some business benefactors. So if you own a business or you make the marketing decisions for your company, listen up. This is the best deal in all of Chicagoland Radio. A one-time tax-deductible gift of $2,500 to Food for the Poor. And again, it's Triple Match Giving Tuesday, so today's the day to do it. As a way of saying thank you, we give you 40 one-minute commercials that will air right here Monday through Friday between 5 a.m. and 8 p.m. Again, it's the best deal in all of Chicago radio. We have some business benefactors that already signed up. Century 21, Circle Real Estate, and High Tech First, the High Tech Book. They have signed up to be business benefactors. So if you want to be a business benefactor and get those 41 minute commercials while you're helping those in need, call Anjanette Natowski at 847 472 8951. Again, 847 472 8951.
0: Paul Jacobs, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll check back with you in a little bit.
1: Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Amy you're listening to chicago's morning answer with dan Proft and amy jacobson an am 560 the answer insert democrat socialist here
2: runs the democratic house law for 30 plus years running he's promising this and he's stealing that where can you get that kind of money He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You want to know by now. You can pay off your house
0: here in Illinois, but
2: you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not
0: a matter of if anymore, but when. You're moving out. Said, when
5: now, Top of the morning, Dan and
0: Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly Confab with Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Before we get to Ted, uh, let's uh, hear from Governor Spaulding because uh, we, we're living in Candide in Illinois. Uh, violent
1: crime actually has been uh, Violent crime actually has been coming down for three years. But in particular, over the last year, um, violent crime is coming down. I know everybody wants to go back and focus on, you know, Citadel leaving. But the truth is that we've attracted seriously uh, like a half a dozen pretty significant expansions and or new headquarters.
2: Oh, really? Which expansions?
0: So crime is down. Uh, Businesses are up. Um, The state is growing. Um, the pension funds are fine. The state is solvent.
2: Oh, yeah, we've got the Safety Act in place. Everything's great.
0: For uh, more on this, Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
7: Hey, good morning, uh, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Yeah, I think we better get used to this. You know, he's he's really, I think, making this pitch for for you know running for president. If Biden steps out of the way, we'll see if that happens. But uh, he's certainly doing. His speeches have, have all been covering how good Illinois does. You know, he started his his, his uh, not-for-profit efforts with his take-big uh, not-for-profit. So we're going to hear more and more about how well Illinois is doing and how Illinois could be the model for, for America.
0: There's no question. I mean, it's an economic powerhouse. It reminds me of Bill Clinton talking about Arkansas when he was running for president 30 years ago, what a uh, boom town that state was. Um, but, of course, the, the data, I mean, not the there's particular concern about the evidence or lack thereof to support the claims he's making. But the data says that, uh, what the governor is saying with all due respect and all due respect is not much respect. What he's saying is just wrong. I mean, it's the same thing that he's again, the state is growing. We're not losing population. Pay no attention to the loss of a Congress human. Okay. So it's just, and, and, and it seems that, uh, Probably there's enough people parroting these fantasies and who are committed to self delusion that he'll get away with it at least in Illinois. I don't think so uh, nationally.
7: Yeah, yeah, he'll get away with it here for a while because the press will continue to back him. But you know, usually, usually he's careful about the stuff he says. But for me, he's getting sloppy. Uh, you know, he's starting to say things that just aren't true. And, and you know, if you look at, I got the numbers in front of me. If you look at the Chicago data on on crime. Uh, you know, clearly everything is up except for murders. You know, murders are down 11% uh, compared to last year. Uh, you know, he won't tell you that, that in Philly, um, you know, in, in the other big cities, he won't tell you that that uh, you know Philadelphia is down 20%, or Houston is down 21%, or Los Angeles 19%. He won't tell you that, but but yes, but but the reality is is that crimes overall are up on everything. You know, the criminal sexual assaults they're up 2%, robberies up 24%. Aggravated battery up five percent. The um, you know, of course the the less less dangerous ones, the like motor vehicle theft, which I think every one of those is an opportunity for for violence, is up fifty percent compared to last year. So you know overall major crimes are twenty percent. So he can try to play his game with, with I don't know what he's what, what stats he's cherry picking, but uh, you know. And then if you go back to 2020, 2019, you know everything is way up. You know murders are still up twenty three percent over twenty nineteen this year. So uh yeah he can say what he wants but it's just not true and i don't know if
2: you saw this ted but they're even cutting through the club you know all these uh, you know our 19th district and all the other districts were handing out the club you know from the 80s that you'd put on your steering wheel well they're just cutting the steering wheel and then sliding the club off and stealing those cars anyway so i I mean i mean if you need a nudge to care about who the next uh, cook county state's attorney is uh what happened last night? I mean, we had an off-duty police officer. He was stripped of his badge. They had later found it on the ground, but he was robbed by four men who jumped out of a black Nissan sedan, and they had guns, and one had a rifle, and they robbed him, and then they went on and robbed, well, let's see, one, two, three, four, nine other people within a two-hour time span.
7: Dan and Amy, this is this is getting crazy, and I think, you know, you mentioned the Wall Street Journal article about, about the retail staff and how... How workers are just having to watch the the people just walk in and take stuff. We're doing the same thing in, in, in the streets now. We're letting these these guys that you know, four guys with guns and cars run around and just every five minutes, stop at a new spot, rob somebody, and then just drive down the street and do it again and they're doing it four, five, six, seven, eight times. It is absurd and crazy. And you know, I don't know when we jump up down and down and, and do something about it, but uh that you know, I hate I usually don't support the unions and and their strikes, but uh what the Wall Street Journal article says there is, is that they're finally suing uh, companies for not doing something about the retail theft because it's putting people at risk. You know, and, and it's it's fascinating to me the piece we just wrote. You know, this this amount of, of you know with impunity, they're just walking around and doing whatever the hell they want and we're watching it. And then Pitcher has the gall to say that uh, crime is down.
0: Uh, Yeah, and um, I I saw uh, over at your site that uh, you sat down with uh, the BBC. The BBC did a little piece about uh, Illinois uh, out-migration. It apparently is happening despite what uh, Jelly Belly says about it. And um, uh, in-migration in in states like Florida, how would that go? Well,
7: it was interesting because I think the BBC started out with with a notion that, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of – you know, very liberal people leaving Florida and coming to Illinois and, and, and vice versa, you got the conservatives moving down to Florida. But it was interesting after, after they looked at all the, all the stuff, yes, they covered a few people moving to Illinois, but the, uh, I think they realized that the overwhelming numbers are the other way. Uh, you know, it's why, it's why Florida grew by three, almost 3 million people in the last decade and, you know, and, and Illinois shrunk, you know, and why Texas grew by 4 million people and Illinois shrunk. So, they can, you know, they can try to analyze how many liberals are moving to to, to Illinois, but uh, the overwhelming evidence is the flight is, you know, entirely the other way.
0: When we uh, left you last week, uh, you were off to Mantino for uh, a rally and a conversation about uh, the location there of that Goshen uh, Chi- Chinese Communist Party-backed electric uh, battery facility that's being underwritten by federal and state governments significantly. Uh, so, how did that go? Give us a, a summary of what happened
7: Yes, my colleague my colleague Mark uh, was the one that spoke at the rally along with Jeannie Ives and uh, a lawyer uh, who is representing the people of Mantino who are opposing opposing it and uh, you know the pushback the pushback is strong, the people don 't want it. The polls show all that um, of course of course the, the mantino government is is they they've they brought in all the all the major you know corporate players that we know who support this it's all good jobs. this is good for the people kind of thing um there's still discussions going on about the, the zoning has to be the zoning has to change uh they push that decision off from that meeting to to a, a next one uh, you know I, I think my concern is the system is so set up and everybody's in, in uh what do you want to say i think cahoots that uh it's gonna be hard to hard to, to turn down but uh We'll see if the people of Vantina were strong enough to make a lot of noise.
0: What the, the um, usual corporate suspects that are supporting it? Like, can you give us some examples of who was on who was on hand?
7: Well, you've got groups like the IMA, right? The Illinois mm-hmm. Manufacturers Association, mm-hmm. all that, right? They are in uh, types like that. Chicagoland Land Chamber. They, they're all going to say this is great. Uh, they're not going to go against Kitzker. Uh Everybody ignores that it's taking 536 million. In state subsidies to get Goshen here. Uh, they're ignoring that you're talking about billions of dollars from federal government um, that, that uh, are helping Goshen get here. Um, they don't care about that stuff. It's, they, they're going to play the political game so that Pritzker can say, hey, you know, we've done a great job, look at us, uh, ignoring the fact that um, manufacturing jobs under Pritzker are still down 5% as he took office, one of the worst in the country.
0: We talked about this a bit yesterday, but uh, I think it bears a, a revisit with you, which is uh, the Wall Street Journal finally catching up with the story that we reported here over the summer about Evanston Township High School having segregated classes, uh, particularly as it pertains to AP uh, prep classes for you know the AP math test, the AP history test, and so forth. Um, math and uh, reading, I think, were the... Uh, well, it was math and uh, and yeah and like language arts, I think were the the two main ones essentially um, separating uh black students uh, black students, black teacher, latino students, latino teacher because they're trying to uh close the achievement gap they say uh this uh, initially, of course, this was denied that this was not happening. then they made a slight wording change to the catalog that detailed the classes available and now we have the wall street journal several months later uh doing an expose on it and and there the, all the uh, die consultants and the school board members in eths and of course all these race hustling administrators at eths are all now out and proud about it and this is uh the evasive action we're taking and uh white the to, to try to you know, overcome the scourge of whiteness and so on and so forth and um, you know, I just. Uh, but by the way, I also understand that um, the uh, president of the school board, Pat Savage Williams, I think is her name, is the die coordinator for Nutriere. Isn't that interesting? Maybe Nutriere should do the same thing. Although, be kind of lonely for the two minority students there. Um, anyway, um, yeah, the just uh, the the comment on the continued race hustle in K through twelve in Illinois. I mean, since you spent so much time. Uh, analyzing the data, writing about it, we spent so much time talking about it. The the state report card, we spent a lot of time talking about, it, just abysmal. And this is the response you get from one of the bigger school systems in uh, the metropolitan area.
7: Yeah, I, I think that the big concern I have is is how poorly they're managing, you know, the, the true expectations of kids, and then trying to trying to demand excellence. And, instead, they're so obsessed about equity. And you know, the story that needs to be told more and more is how. You know, places like in Decatur, they've, they've reached equity, but it's not because they've got blacks scoring much higher. It's because they've got whites scoring much lower. And this is what happens when you when you, you fail to educate and fail to have merit and you know, demand excellence and achievement. And, you know, in Decatur public schools, fascinating. Um, you know, there, there's about 1,700 of them, 2,000 maybe, of uh, white kids in the Decatur public schools. And only 12%, and I, I refuse to believe this, but only 12% of whites, indicator can read a grade level you know and that's that's kind of close to the whatever it is the six percent for blacks but they've achieved equity right it's just that none of them can read and and if we're not careful that's the kind of same kind of stuff we'll do by just dumbing down everything so move over to move over to evanston yeah i remember um it's been a few years now but i remember analyzing uh, a report that was done by evanston one of the uh one of the, one of the schools in the district. And the first paragraph of their analysis of the, of the equity, of, sorry, of the, of the uh, education gaps was in the first paragraph, they blamed white supremacy. They said, is, is, is white supremacy that's doing that? And that shocked me. Um, you know, and that, that led to, um, the Civil Rights Commission coming in and, you know, trying to challenge Evanston. But here you go. You've got this, they've continued on. They're segregating, which is unbelievable. They're doing segregation. They're doing these affinity groups. And, uh, it can't be good, right? Because if you look at what's happening in the rest of the state, you're just setting different standards for different kids. And, uh, you know, the standards that these black kids or these Latino kids need to have is the standards of excellence and merit, not of some non-white something-something. And um, what's interesting, you mentioned Pat Savage-Williams. Yes, she is the the uh, diet coordinator at Trier. And if you look there, you know, this is probably for every, the message for every school district, for every parent listening. This stuff's happening in your school district. At Nutria, we've got these affinity groups that meet now. And um, these are after-school groups. And uh, these affinity groups allow students who share an identity, what's called a marginalized identity, to get together. And so the groups are, for example, uh, you know, Black Student Alliance, Latinx, Mixed Race, Muslim Student Association, Young Asians with Power, and my favorite one is
2: the white anti-racist affinity group. The
0: white so anti-racist group. Yeah, they, they spend all their time uh, self self flagellating. They just go meet to whip themselves right. over I their whiteness. See. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I like
7: the of them describing that's it. crazy.
0: Well, like like some of this stuff, you know, I don't want to take it too far. You know, you have the the I mean, I remember on, on campus uh, in college, you know, you have the 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 black student groups and and as you were mentioned the other affinity groups where you have the black fraternities or black sororities and stuff you know so okay fine uh that's fine um but but the segregating classes and promoting the segregation of classes and the uh as i want to say not so soft bigotry of low expectations in the direction of minority students the patronizing attitudes from uh from from these anti-racist quote-unquote whites uh, as well as uh from the race hustlers who you know make a living by uh creating boogeymen you know that that, that's where the line crosses right i mean Bob, bob woodson says this too he says like it's it's not about um you can do um uh you know blacks only something but if it's if it's uh black students or black adults getting together to do something in community with one another. Fine. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about basically end running Brown v. Board of Education and going back to separate but equal or separate is how we get to equal. I mean, it is such poison. It is so nonsensical. It is completely unsupported by uh, any sort of scholarship and yet it just passes with um not much mention or concern
3: Well yeah
7: and, and dan it's important yeah i'm i'm not against groups meeting all the time whatever right everybody should be able to do what they want but these are a lot of these are school sponsored and they have an agenda yeah and if you follow pat savage williams you know her, her her goals is all about this equity you know equity obsession and you know and, and, and it's also funny too when you start seeing Groups, but then you have this white anti-racist affinity group that has to fit into this thing that you know that that is focused on understanding whiteness, exploring white culture, you know, white right, racial identity, and anti-racist equity work. It's all part of that that other game, and it has nothing to do with with the camaraderie of a group, or, or even you know, or even blacks getting together to understand. How to perform better? It's it's much more of a, a grievance uh, grievance
0: groups, really. Absolutely, uh, Ted Dabrowski, President Wirepoints wirepoints WirePoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, guys.
2: Thank you, and he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
2: Welcome to Haiti. We're with a group of radio hosts. So please join us on this journey as we travel through Haiti and the good work that Food for the Poor does for those in need.
7: The other two big problems in this community are water. The only source of water is from an irrigation canal. They do drink from it because it's the only choice that they that they have, but it makes the kids sick. They've even had some cases of cholera. And then food. Uh, food is a big problem. Marie was telling me earlier that she was able to feed her kids a little bit of cornmeal this morning that she got from a neighbor
0: but nothing else to eat today. When you do find food but there's not enough for everybody how do you decide who gets to eat?
1: i, I rather give God. each one the smallest portion so that everyone can
5: find something
2: to hold their hearts. What gives her strength to, to keep on going and to keep fighting?
5: I pray to God Sometimes I wake up and I can't get up, but I pray to God and I ask for strength.
0: Dan and Amy, and today, Giving Tuesday, is a triple match on our holiday campaign to aid the efforts of Food for the Poor in Haiti and Latin America in providing life-saving food to those in need. We're pleased to be joined again by... Paul Jacobs from Food for the Poor. Paul, thanks for being with us.
8: Great to be with you guys.
0: Uh, since we uh, chatted last, um, we've got some uh, a few donors that uh, came across the uh, transom that worth mentioning just uh, um, because of some of the comments they uh, made. Uh, Karen and Beecher, thank you, Karen. I'm donating because I still can. My income is limited, but I know what I'm having for dinner this week, and I feel this is the best way to share what charitable funds I have. It's a very nice sentiment. Uh, Michael in Naperville, I was moved by the stories what Amy Jacobson shared on the radio this morning, like the one in part you just heard. So we appreciate uh, those donors, and uh, we uh, ask that uh, everybody else follow the example of Karen and Michael, for example
8: you know it 's interesting uh, what 's your why you know there have been so many uh, so many things that have really come at us on this giving season this giving holiday season so many different challenges and it 's a time where you, you quite frankly you, you open your heart up I mean you, you set that extra table extra plate or that seat at that table on Thanksgiving and it continues all the way through the Christmas holiday you know I, I would even dare say the savings that you, uh, that you enjoyed with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, turn that to Giving Tuesday today, where every dollar that you give is matched today only with $3 worth of food. And everybody has a different why. And you heard some of those that gave. I love Jennifer. uh, She's from, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Batvia? Batavia? Batavia. Gen- Batavia. Batavia, Batavia. If you're from Batavia, if you yeah. would please dial toll free eight four four eight six two four six seven three. I can pr- I can prote- protect. Uh, I can practice in it, but uh, listen, <laughs> listen to what she said. Our family is blessed, and we have all that we need and much that we want. Giving those in need in a big, it, if giving to those in need in a small way, it shows our gratitude. For what we have, isn't that the sentiment of what Giving Tuesday and really this entire holiday season is—to be great, just grateful to what you have, not to guilt you into giving, but to be grateful and then turn back as we expand our definition of family and community to another yeah. child, another family.
2: Yeah, Keith from Sugar Grove, eighty dollars, uh, and wrote because I'm able to give. And I want to help others. And that's so true. They're anonymous, $80 Palatine. Food for the poor saves lives. And it's true. I mean, there's so many different charities that you could give to, especially, you know, during this holiday season. But we've teamed up with you because we see the good work that you've done firsthand. You have invited our staff, not only myself, Mike Gallagher. Dan, I know you were scheduled to go, too. Um, But you you meet the people who you help. You see people walk miles. Um, Not only for food, but then, you know, to get medical care. I was, um, you know, to get some immunizations and to help kids that are malnourished. I remember this peanut butter goo that you gave kids that were very, I mean, they were just so weak and could barely, you know, keep their eyes open, and that helped them. And uh, it's really, it's a great Christian organization, and you've been around since 1982 for a reason. But are you still, no, when we went to Haiti, because you don't only just help Haiti, you help Mm -hmm. kids... And families in third-world countries, like there's Honduras, uh, Guatemala, there's a number of Latin American uh, countries that you help. But what about the orphanages? Because we were there in Haiti, and they dropped a a toddler off, um, and he was sleeping on uh, Snoopy sheets. (laughs) They put him in a back bedroom, and these cute little kittens that were barely alive themselves snuggled up to him. And he slept there for hours because we were there for a long time. Are you still helping those orphanages?
8: More, more than ever the 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 need of uh, children's homes children's nutritional centers is really what they are long term care we were just in Guatemala where we visited a nutritional center and we saw these children that are there months at a time children as young as eighteen months old i I, I helped this little baby I, re- I remember saying to myself boy this this little six month old is is so tiny I could feel the the bones of their spine it was so very fragile i'm uh, you know i'm a dad myself, three daughters and I, and I'm But but I'm like like all over again. I'm nervous, you know, holding this little six month old child. I hand the child back to the nursing assistant, and I said, I said this little infant is just you know is just uh, just so fragile. And she told me, well, you know, we're trying to help him survive to his second birthday. I said, second birthday, that child was eighteen months old. They were so severely malnourished. But that child is going to be there until that child is able to be back on his feet again. And there are more children like this that are, quite frankly, surrendered by their parents, surrendered by the system because their parents and their families, their community cannot feed them. And this is where you come in. Your business benefactor, if you're a business or a ministry, takes 94 children today on Giving Tuesday and delivers them the hope that they need through Life Saving Food.
0: And, and no, the number by the way, to
2: call real quick. I'm sorry, Dan. 844-862-4673. We can't say it enough. 844-862-4673 or visit 560 com slash poor.
0: So, uh, Paul, I mean, just give us the mechanics of this, how, how this actually works uh, in a place like Haiti yeah. in terms of uh, the Food for the Poor's infrastructure, your local partners, uh, how you get uh, the mm-hmm. resources to the people in need, just the 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 blocking and tackling of it.
8: Oh, it's so simple. You, your heart is 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 burning to give. You have a why, you have a decision that you hey, you want to make a difference and you make your call, you click that give life banner at um, right there on the website at 560theanswer.com and then we receive your generous generous gift. We turn that around and we work on either purchasing food or we just literally get food donated from other ministry partners and get the to sh- get it shipped into country. Container is then arriving into the Hades ports. We get that container into a distribution center. Amy's been there. She's seen the efficiency. She's seen the work. She's seen the literally mounds of rice and non-perishable foods. Then it gets delivered to a ministry partner and a regional feeding center or in this particular case we were talking about a nutritional center out in some area or some community where teams, tens, and and sometimes hundreds of children are coming to get long-term care to survive. And then what happens is you see the transformation one life at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time. We had a group of men that were basically hired because our ministry partner couldn't make it to our Port-au-Prince office. So a, a number of our team members decided, well, we're just gonna take the journey to them with this food because they needed this food. The children needed to get this food. And our guys literally got to a certain point where they couldn't go any further without waiting for a barge. They spent the night away from their families overnight in these trucks, sitting upright in these trucks, waiting for the barge so that they could load up this food onto this barge and make it to a a far-off community. This is the level of dedication that you are resourcing right now. And then, of course, on the other end was a pastor, a local ministry partner that receives that food off that barge and gets it to these families.
0: How dangerous is it? You know, Amy mentioned I was scheduled to go and I, I couldn't go because uh, the decision was made that it was too dangerous at the time. I think it was shortly before the Haitian president was assassinated. Yeah. Um, so we, could, we couldn't the, – the, me and the other hosts uh, at the time couldn't go. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm too valuable. Oh, so I can't be put in harm's way, um, but um, but so but but I mean, the, yeah. so that you, the ministry partners, the people who work for food for the poor. I mean, how dangerous is the work of you wouldn't you wouldn't think it would be dangerous, but how dangerous is the work of getting the resources and making sure they're not uh, they're not they're not stolen, the making sure that people are safe in terms of just providing this uh, life saving food.
8: Yeah, I can't sugarcoat it or put rose colored glasses over it. It is dangerous. It is a life. It's literally a life-threatening situation on a daily basis. For our partners working in Haiti are also our staff. We have a staff of over 300 in our facility in Port-au-Prince and spread throughout the country, quite frankly. And so it is very dangerous. But then we have the support of local authorities. We have the support of ministry partners. We have the infrastructure to be able to, whether it's uh, you know clearing roads to get from point A to point B or taking barges to go around seaports, so that we can safely deliver. But the point being is that throughout all the danger, throughout all of the civil unrest and a lot of the things that are happening in Haiti, and we cannot wait for an international force to come in to clear the roads. We have to get these families and these children fed. And so we continue our work, and which is why your gift is so vitally needed right now more than ever. And, and today is Giving the-
2: Tuesday, so what's the match here? What, do you, what is Food for the Poor going to do?
8: Well, for every dollar of food, that means your gift of $80 is going to provide $3 worth of food. So typically that gift of $80 would provide one child food for a year, two meals a day. But because it's Giving Tuesday, it's a triple match. Now that $80 gift provides three children food for an entire year we had a gift an anonymous gift I, I i just have to give a shout out because i love this uh we tell these stories for a reason because we want you to just transport you there in your heart and we had a gift of five hundred dollars that five hundred dollars is going to be triple match to help even more children and i love what they wrote it was an anonymous gift and they said we're just giving because of amy's big heart I love that. <laughs> there you go. Powerful. But every dollar is going to have a triple match of $3 worth of food.
0: Come on. Amy's Big Heart is worth more than $500. bucks. let us go <laughs> uh, 844-862-4673. Toll free 844-862-4673. Uh, also go to the website, 56theanswer.com, and click on the red Give Life banner to donate.
2: And everything that we're talking about, I'm tweeting out right now. Like, I talked about the kid at the orphanage, the poor child. I'm going to tweet out a picture of that, and then the water situation where people are bathing in the water, animals are drinking the water, yeah. and people are drinking the water as well, so you help too with water purification systems and teaching that I remember when we went to visit um I think it was Savant Capri and um they had recently built their houses there, and you were te- they were teaching them how to use the bathroom because they had never used like flushed a toilet in their yes. life.
8: Yeah. You know, it's interesting how poverty is generational in places like Haiti or Guatemala or Honduras. And uh, I, too, I remember being on a trip where a mother. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. A mother said that her name was Dorona. And she said, "I, I, I don't know what this is. I've never had this in my life growing up. She was talking about a flushing toilet. She didn't know how to properly give proper nutrition to her children until Food for the Poor and our ministry partners came in and started to show her how to break down the food because she basically would get maybe a, a little fruit that glean, that fell off of a local farm or maybe a handful of rice, and that was it. There's no protein, there's no nutrition, nothing. And now she's eating. Now her children are eating properly. Now they're growing and they're thriving. And now with the money that she earns, she doesn't have to scrounge and scrape to buy a little bit of food that's not even enough, but she can now invest that to send her children to school. It's just a holistic process that you're investing in in these families.
0: Uh, We uh, need our business community to step up, our business leaders. That's why we have the Business Benefactor Program again this year. Tax-deductible gift of $2,500 to Food for the Poor. And uh, we at AM560 will give your business 41-minute commercials that air on our airwaves, Monday to Friday, prime broadcast hours between 5 a.m. and 8 p.m. So uh, it's uh, a double. You uh, get to do some good work, as Paul is describing, be underwriting the good work, the life-saving work. And uh, you also get a great marketing package for your business to uh, expand your business. Uh, To participate in the Business Benefactor Program, you call Anjanette. She's our general sales manager. Anjanette's number is 847-472-8951. Again, that's Anjanette at 847-472-8951 to become a business benefactor.
2: And we want to thank Century 21 Circle Real Estate for there uh, for becoming a business benefactor. They're one of the first ones. And then High Tech versus High Tech Book, that's going to be out. So thank you to both of those companies and authors for helping out during this Giving Tuesday.
0: Paul Jacobs, Food for the Poor, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you and God bless you all. Before you see it
0: on TV, share
1: it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, the answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM 560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know how we talk about this with respect to the race hustle that uh, where racism doesn't exist, the race hustlers will invent it because they have to, because this is their path to political power, relevance, status, particularly That's in their, media.
2: Yeah, it's their profession. Really. And
0: so uh, we have another case. I mean, the, this guy uh, is named Karen Phillips. He's a writer for uh, Deadspin.
2: Did you say and, his name is Karen
0: C-A-R-R-O-N. Okay. ron I don't know. Don't know. I want don't want to go full key and peel here. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, it's just, I, I did the recent podcast um, with Lionel Shriver, the great author. Uh, we Need to Talk About Kevin and other novels. And, you know, she said in uh, Britain, where she lives, although she's moving to Portugal because, well, for the same reason, I moved from Chicago. Uh, anyway, she um, she said, you know, in in the UK, people are at, the, you know, are, are at their back teeth now with all this race and gender identity silliness. They they are just fed up with it. And maybe they're not as vocal as the identitarians, but they don't like it. They don't believe in it. And they want to go back to the way things were. They don't want their pronouns policed and other such instances. They don't want everything to be forced fed through the prism of race. we'll see. Isn't we'll that see. what
2: most of us want here too though?
0: Uh I don't know. I don't know what most of us want. I guess it depends what the here is. In Chicago, that's not what I see. It's not what I hear. In Chicagoland? No, I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. If that's anything
2: will wake them up, I think it's the migrants that are coming because people are so upset about it. I mean, it's really it's really affected the black community. And when black people speak as a group, people listen. I feel like our city liter- leaders listen more than if it was just, you know, some women from Lakeview, if you know what I mean.
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what? How? how is that racial? I mean, in fact, that's in fact, a lot of the argument is identitarian in nature. Uh, us versus them us first in line against them i mean and i don't disagree with them because they're tax-paying residents of chicago and people who are coming here being bussed here because they've been allowed to enter this country illegally mostly some exceptions but mostly that's the case um yeah i mean they have an argument but they but it's still uh, offered through the angle of race in part by some So, I I don't know. I'm not seeing that. I don't think so. But these people still need to be called out. Because maybe it starts to get to a point where people who've been resistant say, Okay, finally a bridge too far. Okay, finally I'm tapping out. I don't know. It's hopeful. Sort of, I mentioned uh, in the, the tease before the news, Nick Sandman redux. Let's vilify somebody. Oh, and then now we understand, or at least some people came to understand how inaccurate was the vilification of Nick Sandman. And then some news outlets had to pay Nick Sandman for their Good. libelous coverage. Well, maybe this will happen to Deadspin with this story by Karen Phillips. All right. The NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface and native headdress. It's a... I mean, it's a kid who's, it's a boy who's probably, I don't know, 10 years old. And hes he pictured him. It takes a lot to disrespect two groups of people at once, but on Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas, a Kansas City chief found a way to hate black people and Native Americans at the same time. Oh, my God. Hey, hey, dude, this 10-year-old kid expressing his fandom for the chiefs is uh, a white supremacist hate monger. This is what these people have to think about and write about and search about to find. This is how desperate they are. They are the Sasquatch hunters of race. And he goes on, Why did the camera person give this fan attention? Sure, the camera person also. Let's go. Let's rope him in, too. Why did the producer allow the camera angle to be aired at all? Is that fan a kid, teenager, young adult? I mean, young adult. Not even close. Despite their age, who taught that person what they were wearing was appropriate? The answers to all those questions lead back to the NFL. While it isn't the league's responsibility to stop racism and hate from being taught in the home... That's a pretty big assumption. They're a league that has relentlessly participated in prejudice. If the NFL had outlawed the chop at Chiefs games and been more aggressive in changing the team's name, then we wouldn't be here.
2: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: No, in fact, if they hadn't, uh, if the Redskins, for example, hadn't caved, uh, we wouldn't be here. If these ignorant race hustlers, which is redundant, were not given any quarter, then we wouldn't be here.
2: This kid, Dan, looks like he's eight years old. And well, half exa- of his face is painted in black <laughs> and the other half is painted in red. He's not yeah. in blackface.
0: Right, uh, and and Even that arg- that abortion. argument was that argument was made. Oh, it's the Kansas City Chiefs colors, and he's yeah red. Yeah. And here's Karen Phillips's response: For the idiots in my mentions who are treating this as some harmless act because the other side of his face was painted red, I could make the argument that it makes it worse. Y'all are the ones who hate Mexicans but wear sombreros on Cinco. Oh boy, this is the sort of intellect I, that you're dealing with.
2: I don't think this person could be helped but go
0: on this is oh no asking. this is no 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 he's 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 way beyond way beyond any sort of help did you see this it, it's it persists because not enough people i mean they're definitely he's getting response although i tried to respond and he you have to be following him or he, he following you to respond to his uh tweets because i would love to engage but um this stuff just persists because
2: eh. smearing this young little kid is a racist, my God. Because remember with huh. Nick, I mean they tried to get him thrown out of college, he was accepted at some university, and then they, they called and formed a solidarity against him to get him kicked out so that he, he wouldn't have a a collegiate career.
0: And so uh right, so this will this this now this They're kid's monsters. been targeted by the left and somebody'll identify who he is oh, and yeah. And then, you know, this will be part of his permanent record. This, this just happened recently, uh, uh, another instance like this. Um, La Jolla High School in California. When La Jolla High School played Morse High School under the Friday Night Lights on October 13th, students from the surrounding San Diego area filled the stadium to cheer on their prospective teams. J.A., a middle schooler from Muirlands Middle School, attended the game with another student and that student's mother. To show support for his team, J.A. let his friend put eye black paint on his face. A security guard even complimented the design. A week after the game, J.A. was called into a disciplinary meeting with his parents at the middle school. He was told he'd be suspended for school for two days and was no longer allowed to attend future athletic events because he wore quote-unquote blackface to the football game. And again, now this kid's picture has been bandied about and is, you know, to some extent, his identity has been exposed. He's got black face on. I mean, a black eye on, not black face on. Black eye like actually like you see. Yeah, like you see NFLers do not just not just like right under the eyes, but when they do the whole like design on half their face, that's essentially what he did.
2: It looks like Batman to me. I see some college players doing it in some NFL. Yeah, you know. Yeah, right. so that's what he did, and they're saying that that's blackface. Yeah, and he's and he, been suspended from school.
0: Yes, no one complained, said anything negative about his son's eye black while at the game. The school's principal failed to show how that they failed to specify how they found out about the incident. But um, now he's being represented by you know one of the nonprofit uh, law firms that rep, take up cases like this. Um, it, arguing this is a First Amendment case, but it just but it's even beyond even the First Amendment. I don't know. I mean I just yeah, all this talk we have about bullying, everybody's being bullied and bullying and stop bullying this is and bullying yet to me and yet you have these rapacious race hustling nitwits can target kids with impunity. And try to brand them as racists. And, and, and it, by the way, uh, this is in the press. This is obviously per the California example in school districts.
2: Got a lot of text messages, Dan and Amy. These fake journalists are going to get someone hurt or killed. They need a taste of their own medicine. Um, another one, I find it interesting uh, that they're saying that they're journalists when they're masquerading as leftists
0: ban the uh the tomahawk chop at chiefs games or braves games ted turner uh but and 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 what does that look like how are you gonna enforce that no i know that's why i said i'll tell you that that's what it would that's what it takes it takes to come to your front door so until this is why i'm a proponent force the blackhawks to change their name force the blackhawks to to, uh, change their iconography That's the only way that uh, all of these uh, pee hats in Chicago will get riled up about uh, kids being pushed around by adults looking for scapegoats to propagate their race-hustling nonsense. So let's go. Go ahead. Take the Blackhawks. See if anybody cares. Byron, Western Suburbs.
3: Hey, uh, uh, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Just kind of a way out different look that I have is, why are these journalists using the English language? Wasn't that the language of the colonists? Wasn't that the language of the imperialists (laughs) that took over everything? Come on, shouldn't you be using the language of an indigenous people? So anyway, happy
0: holidays thanks for the call byron well it's i it's so weird for that. The he, middle he school he barely game. he barely is using the english language at least in a, any sort of way that's intelligible but i take your point
2: i'm seeing pictures of this the middle school game where they said he was wearing blackface when he was really just doing the inspired trend of athletes applying large amounts of makeup under their eyes there's so many other kids there that have face paint on and did any of them or You know, subject or any of them subject to discipline.
0: Well, the point, of course, of all of this is that it's arbitrary because they're just looking for scapegoats. That's what the left does. It's mascots and scapegoats. Text from 312. The most offensive part of the story is where he suggests the NFL is somehow on the political right. (laughs) That's funny. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on
1: Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 773 467-5600 467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.